Welcome back to the Arts Today. I'm Alessandro Angelini. Last week, the first episode in my series of conversations with director and Tony Award-winning choreographer Andy Blankenbuehler released. In order to gain perspective and understanding for the incredible work Andy does, we began this series with Andy's story, which outlines the processes, people, and events that have shaped Andy as an artist and choreographer. This week, I wanted to dive deeper into Andy's choreographic process with a more specific focus on one of Andy's largest productions, Hamilton. Join us to get a sense of what goes on in a choreographer's life and mind while preparing a show, as well as the complex process of staging, modifying, and perfecting a Broadway show such as Hamilton. Please enjoy. Now, let's pick it up where we left off. And I think it's also striking to me, not only in this massive, massive um, logistical process of working with other stage techs, with musicians, with actors and dancers and all of this, it's a moving, it's kind of like a moving target, you know, and if moving everyone's target, working yeah. together, um, kind of working to their fullest extent to bring and realize this image, this idea and this part of the story, that seems to be um, kind of like the Goldilocks zone when things start to fall into place. And I think it's just, you know, something that even I, a dancer, when I'm in the audience, sometimes I forget how intense of a production it is to make oh. a production, you know, so when you're when you're in this process, you know, and you're, you're trying to tell the story, but you're having to work, you know, in collaboration with everyone else who's trying to also tell a story through a different lens. It's really important to listen to each of those cues. And also it seems like, as you were talking to me, you have a responsibility to project and portray this idea to the fullest extent possible for you, as well as for it to translate to the audience. And I think it's something yeah. we forget all the time. It's not well, a there, seamless process. Yeah, well, there's, there's that you bring up a, a bunch of things. First of all, there is the, there's also the moving target about what I do, the shows that I do, they're gonna repeat every night, eight shows a week in all these different cities and the cast changes. So the moving target is also like, does uh, Joe Smith come in feeling really crappy because he just got a parking ticket. How does that affect his performance that night? Like wow. the moving target is that the material has to be defined enough and specific enough and poignant enough that no matter what liberties the actor or the dancer takes, they're still in the zone. And, and a lot of that comes down to the rehearsal and the teamwork of how, um, how you sit around the table like in rehearsals, how you like commiserate, like I'm gonna show you even though your, your viewers weren't gonna be able to see. Like I'm in my dance studio here. <laughs> oh, and wow. so like, like this is, these are photos from a new show I'm working on called Kiss of the Spider Woman. This mm -hmm. is, these are collage boards for this new musical I'm doing only gold. Like look how much more defined this board is <gasps> than these over here. Cause I'm just getting to know this show. And, okay. and so, I will spend hours and hours and hours, for example, with um, visual stimulation. Like this is the kind of pants the character would wear. This is how the character holds cigarette. Um, like with this Kiss in the Spider-Room and you see here, there's a lot of film noir sort of lighting cues. So like from the beginning, I see the way the show is gonna be lit. So I choreograph for bold lighting in that case. And so I spend all those countless hours, like this morning on my Peloton, I'm listening to music for a project just to understand, oh my God, you know what? This character 
is a hi-hat or this character moves like a clarinet. Like I start to see imagery in my head so that when I then go bring to the next group of people, like the other day I had two dancers in the room with me, I'm saying like, she's a clarinet, she's a clarinet. So those people who are experimenting with me know that she's a clarinet. So they have a shared information. And then I think what's really important is when you start the rehearsal process, I believe that you have to have done so much work already so that when you join your, your cast, your collaborative team, um, first of all, you can really spin the imagination for them. You can, you can show them the world through your own imagery long before you ever make it to the stage. Like they're gonna know what the light cues are like. They're gonna know what the fabrics feel like. Like that has to be in the way you talk about a step. Like if I do a port de bras, if I do a big arm movement, I'll be like, and you know, you're brushing that silk off of your dress. Like, like there has to be imagery that is going to be the same feelings they're going to experience when they go on stage two months from then. And, mm -hmm. and, and in that way, it's like the Jerome Robbins quote, the dancers can't learn physically, they have to learn emotionally. So like, if they're learning emotionally, then everybody is on the same page. And what's great about that is, A, we're telling the same story in the same way, so there's integrity to everything. But B, if Joe Smith comes in with his parking ticket, even if he is fluctuating his performance, the idea of the performance is ingrained in him because he's been living with imagery for months. And so then you know your show is, is not going to stray too far from its original intent. So that's one set of moving targets. You know, I, you were saying about, you, you're leading to this question was about like how much goes into it and most people just sit into the theater. And the hope is, right, that they sit in the theater and they don't think about any of these things, that they're just simply transported into a journey. But like I'm working on the show Only Gold, that board I just showed you, to this great British singer songwriter, Kate Nash. And we did our first workshop of it in 2013. So eight years ago was the first time I staged the show. And I, you know, I keep all my choreography on an iMovie, sorry, iPhoto library. Each show has its own library. And in Only Gold, there are 1300 video clips in the first act. Like I haven't even finished. And in the first act alone, there are 1,300 videos of this, this hand, this rhythm. Here's stage right entrance. Here's the waiter's entrance. Here's how the waiter interacts with the woman. Like, in, in, and like A number one, what I've now learned at 50 years old is that you have to enjoy process because your show may never even open. Like your show may close on opening night or it might be a hit like Hamilton, but you can't hold your breath for Hamilton. You just have to learn how to enjoy process. And that, that making of the show one brush stroke at a time actually brings me a great deal of happiness. It brings me a great deal of pain. <laughs> but, you know, a friend of mine said to me at the beginning of COVID, I was asking him about being happy and I was asking him what makes a person happy. And he's like, you know what? I think the secret of happiness is problem solving. And it took me, I was like, what? And he's like, the ability to apply your own personal passions and skills to a problem brings you contentment. And I was like, that's exactly right. That as an artist, that's what I feel. I feel my own set of my own set of skills applying to a story and I have to problem solve. Sometimes the secrets of a show are unlocked in the most random ways. So we've been doing this show for ages and it's gonna happen next year in New York. And 
you know, about a month ago, I was really stuck on something. Just randomly, Jordan Epstein is a, is a young woman who dances with us in the studio, a fabulous dancer. She sends me a New York Times article um, about this painting. And it's sort of in the world and it's sort of not in the world. And I go and I open this this thing about this painting. I read the article and it unlocked a problem. So we rewrote the second number of the show, putting into consideration some of the things that this analysis of this painting was talking about. And it unlocked uh, many problems we were having in the show. Literally just because a friend of mine who knows the piece sent me an article about a painting that she felt was in the artistic world of the show. And that, that, that partnership with a collaborator, you know, affects many different things. You know, we were, I'm, tell, I'm sorry, I'm telling a lot of war stories. We were in tech for In the Heights, you know, it was a huge show for all of us. And we had the next day was our first preview on Broadway. And we were finishing the second act and we called the cast on a 10 minute break, it was 10 PM and me and Alex and Tommy, and Lynn, the whole team, we sat in the front row and we were like, this second act is totally depressing. It's totally slow. It's totally sad. Like we, we can't be so depressing. And, and we were like, we're screwed. Like our show's gonna open on Broadway tomorrow. And the second act is so depressing. And, and then somebody turned to another person and said, who does the cast like? I'm sorry, who does the audience like? And, and somebody said, the Pidagua guy, the ice cream salesman. And they're like, well, maybe we can, write something for the Piragua guy. And on the 10 minute break, we wrote a song for the Piragua <laughs> guy. When the cast came back from their 10 minute break, we taught them the song, we teched it, we lit it, and it opened the show the next day. And it very much repaired the second act. Because in this wow. heavy second act, it was the one moment that had buoyancy and it went up and people laughed and it had joy. And then the, the show could sustain the heavier place it was gonna return to. And that literally happened on a 10 minute break. What if I had to pee? What if I wanted a cup of coffee? What if I wasn't in that conversation? Like mm -hmm. that number might not have happened for, you know, for us and the show might not have been successful. And the littlest random things can make a moment work or can make a moment not work. It's intense. Well, and it's so, it seems like it's serendipity. It seems serendipity. like it's, um, integrity in your work when you're putting yourself into the world of these characters. Let's not even talk about the dancers, the characters, you're, the brainstorming process that you go through and put yourself through to figure out the intention of everyone's movements and thoughts and how they, you know, carry themselves in this. I think that is when you meet a cast and you're setting it onto them, it's almost as if you're indoctrinating them into this world that was, you know, at this point, it was only in your mind or maybe yeah. you know, the tech person's mind. And now everyone's yeah. on the same page because yeah. of that, you know, massive, massive um, job of really thinking that fictitious world up. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I just I just had this this image, a funny thing happened where, you know, we took the design of Hamilton really seriously, like models, set meetings, like the, um, we, we like worked really hard. And so for those of you, I'm sure most of you have seen Hamilton, but there's a turntable, right? And so the turntable is rotating um, all night long and none of that was accidental. So like I had a model with a turning turntable. And so like I would choreograph during the day and then at night, I would spend time with the model. I would 
push my stop clock. I would listen to the music. I would rotate it. I would see if like this piece of furniture met that person at the exact right time. Like it was all planned like a math equation. And, wow. and like within an inch of its life, like you could realize if you're on the turntable and it rotates in 45 seconds, it feels graceful. 35 seconds, it feels rushed. 55 seconds, you don't even notice. Like there's all these nuances that we were learning about the turntable. And so we did this really complicated number and we went into the theater for the first time. We did the number and the woman was rotating and she ended up right next to the piece of furniture she was supposed to sit down on. And she was like, oh my God, that was so lucky. And I was like, no, like that was not lucky. Like I spent hours timing that turntable and practicing like that. Even our cast sometimes has no idea what, what, you know, what goes on behind the scenes before they start. But interestingly, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes for them. Like, so if there's this exceptional, you know, dancer, like they need their thing, they need their routine, they need their prep. So like, I could never imagine what gets them to performance. And, and I have an, I honor them for that. And I have a huge appreciation for that kind of personal discipline. And I do feel like everybody, the process demands personal discipline from everybody that I'm willing to go that extra mile to do that work, to kill myself, to bring the best product forward. You know, I remember really clearly, I was in a Broadway show once and we were out of town and we were in rehearsal before we uh, opened on Broadway. And the choreographer made a change that was so not thought out. It was such a lackluster change. And I was like, is that as good as it gets? Like, you're asking this cast to go away, away from our loved ones, away from our family for weeks and weeks and weeks, killing ourselves on this new Broadway musical. And you're not prepared. You're coming into this rehearsal and you're winging it. And I was like, that's not good enough. And that was a pretty defining moment for me because I also know about myself I'm not great on the spot. I can't really improvise unless I know the material, unless I know the world super, super well, then I can improvise. So I know I have to choreograph 10 options in advance so that I can honor the cast when I walk in the room. When I walk in the room, I can riff on many different ideas because I've tried them all already. Mm-hmm. And, and then I can help each dancer be, you know, find a version that works for them or that, that works for the plot, you know. And so like, I, I did learn that about myself and I'm very envious of choreographers who can like improvise because like, I think that's an amazing talent. You're talking yeah. about this amazing process and you mentioned Hamilton and I just, you know, I think Hamilton was something that all of us humans were unprepared for in the sense that it took the world by surprise. You didn't just have to be a dancer, an actor, singer to appreciate this. Anyone off the streets can and does appreciate Hamilton. And now it's on Disney plus, you know? Um, So what was that process like? How did Hamilton come up? Um, And, you know, you're telling me about your massive, massive integrity of being prepared and honoring the dancers and everyone working. I mean, it must have been such an intense, um, maybe even intimidating process. Could you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, let me start, I'm gonna go backwards. First, I'm gonna start from the end. You know, Hamilton does appeal to many, many people in and out of the business. And, you know, I'm, I'm maybe more proud of that. I will always be more proud of that than other accomplishments that I think we did an amazing job making a piece of art that just left the arts page. Like it was just real life. 
And the thing about the piece is that, you know, there's no scenes in the piece. And so normally in a musical, like you have a scene, exposition gets out, people are talking, the situation gets more intense. So underscoring comes in, situation gets more intense, they start singing, the situation gets more intense, they sing high. And so like, that's a progression or they dance, they dance high. And so Hamilton never goes to the scene. Hamilton, there's always beat, there's always music, there's always really intense circumstances. And so the ground zero of the story is also is already heightened. It's super fuel injected. And so the next thing that I think about the piece is that even though it's set in the American Revolution and, and it deals with war, it deals with freedom of speech, it deals with political infrastructure, really what it deals with is huge life mile markers. You know, marriage, love at first sight, losing a child, infidelity, uh, fighting for your freedom of, of of speech, all these major, major iconic um, shifts, the numbers deal with those things. We all feel those things at different times. And so like, I know what it feels like to feel the march of like marching into battle because half my life, I feel like I'm marching into battle. So as a man, as a person, I feel that, you know, I have kids. And so the idea of like the pain of losing a kid or the pain of have or the beauty of having a child born, like those things, I just wanted to make real life happen. So that wasn't about a dance step or a vocal line. That was about honoring real things. And so I think that's why the show appeals to people because it's this fuel injected, um, cool, it's cool also, this fuel injected representation of dramatic life. And all of us feel the drama in our life. I mean, look at COVID, losing jobs, not being able to see your loved ones. How am I gonna feed my kids? Like dramatic things actually happen to all of us all the time. And, and I believe that we're all worth it. Like I believe that things do feel life or death to us, even if they're not. And it's okay to feel like, I remember feeling being a freshman in high school and having a crush on this girl and she didn't go to this dance with me. And I remember feeling like that was legitimately the end of the world. So Damn. it's okay to tell a life and death story about a 15 year old who's in love with a girl. <laughs> he might not marry her or whatever, but yeah. like that for that person at that moment in time, it feels like life or death. So if I'm gonna do a show about a 15 year old, I wanna validate that person's life lessons with that kind of drama, because we all go through them. Sort of back up, way, way back up. So we all did In the Heights together, me, Alex, Lynn, Tommy. It, I had had a performing career. The rest of them were just starting out in their creative careers. I was just starting out in my choreography career. We had a lot to prove in the Heights and we threw all the paint against the wall. And the show went really well for all of us. And it was really cool, it parlayed into other projects. Um, we, we, a couple of years later, did the musical Bring It On on Broadway, which was successful and not successful. Um, successful artistically, not successful commercially. Um, but it was a huge learning experience for us. We split up and worked in different pockets. Like Tommy and I did a production of The Wiz together. Alex and I did uh, Annie together. And, you know, Lynn and I did Bring It On together. Like we switched groups. And then Hamilton was the first time we came all back together. Um, Lynn started working on Hamilton during In the Heights. So we knew it was brewing. Um, he first was writing a hip hop album. Then we, they did a concert of it and realized, oh my God, this is a show. So they started working on it as a show. Um, when they had like something on the page, they came to me. There was no guarantee they were gonna offer it to me. They came to me and said, will you work on this with us? So I was absolutely thrilled because I thought 
the material was amazing. You know, and back then, I can turn off my phone. Back then, none of us knew that the show was going to do what it was going to do. But what we knew was that the material was great. Like we knew that the um, we knew that it was thrilling artistically. And, and that's, there's something to be said about that. Whether the show works or not, when you love doing what you're doing, that's a big deal. Like the feeling as a dancer, right? When you get to do like uh, Ronda Allegro and you know you're good at the jump and you do that tour jeté as high as you can possibly do it. Like, and, and after you've done the tour jeté a thousand times, you know you're not gonna fall. And so like there's a real f- f- satisfaction and then going for that tour jeté. In a way, that's what Hamilton felt like for us. We were all functioning on all cylinders. Ideas were coming out of the sides of our heads. And we liked being together. And and again, I'll say again, the material was cool. Like Lynn was writing cool stuff. Um, so interestingly, people used to say to me, like, it must have been so hard to choreograph. You know what was so hard to choreograph? Bad shows are hard to choreograph. Like shows <laughs> where you're like, how do I make this work? How do I make this successful? How do I make this C plus? an A, that's yeah. hard. You have and, to connect the and, dots more. <laughs> yeah, and, and most of the time, those things aren't going to go well. You can shine something up as shiny as it gets, but if it's not good, it's not good. And so, like even like we struggled in In the Heights. I mean, Lynn, I think had 27 cut songs from In the Heights. And I choreographed and re-choreographed, cut, cut choreographed, re-choreographed. Even when we did the show off-Broadway, we threw out like five numbers. On stage, we threw them out. And so, you know, at Hamilton, we didn't have any of those problems. I think Lynn only ever cut two songs from Hamilton. And so like when the material was coming to me, it was so inspired, like it was so good that when I started working, I was like, okay, it's not how do I fix this? It was which one of these 10 great ideas should I pick? Because every time I'd hear a song, there were so many ideas in my head. And so I just started in from the top. It was a mammoth show. There's so much material in the show. There's, I think my assistant says there's 36 numbers in the show, like 36 dances in the show. Whoa. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's a lot of material. And so I, um, I, I work in Word document form. I, I don't know if a lot of people know that about me, but I basically out, create an outline. So let's say like opening number, like first verse, intro, first verse, first chorus. Like I create literally a word document. And the first thing I do is just start writing my ideas, like boot stomping. I just imagine boot stomping here, or he keeps reaching for her, but he can't touch her. Like I'll, 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 I'll write a phrase like that. And then, then I'll realize, oh, in the bridge, he can't find her. And then in the next chorus, he finds her and he touches her. Like, like that's, I'll write down those ideas. And once I get to the end of the piece and they make sense to me, I can start choreographing them. Um, And what I'll do is I'll take the sentence and split it up to be like, he reaches for her. So that means I'm gonna experiment with 10 versions of him reaching for her. So literally I might find it on the first one or I might just keep that phrase there open-ended that says he's reaching for her and I'll highlight it red in my Word document because I still haven't found the perfect reaching for her. And slowly all of those phrases go from paragraph form to literally dance steps and 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 it takes me a long time and a lot of times i can't find the answer but i see it so clearly i i feel confident in walking into rehearsal 
to say, I'm gonna put, this guy's an amazing partner, this girl's so imaginative, we're gonna find that moment of he reaches for her, we're gonna find that, because I know what it is. And, and in that word form, I'll also figure things out like, he has to exit stage right because he has to make a quick change like I, like you you i stage the show in advance because you have to figure out who sings what parts who makes what costume changes and and i do that until slowly the show becomes choreographed um with hamilton there were some other difficulties and that is that there were some badass like uh hip-hop songs but on first pass they can feel similar to each other because they were all dealing with the American Revolutionary War. So like mm -hmm. right hand man, my shot, Battle of Yorktown. How do I make those three things different from each other? Like mm -hmm. what, what are the big design changes I can make? So like, for example, in right hand man, it is the very first time in the show you see the American forces put on blue coats. So mm -hmm. like, I knew that, like even though they're being slaughtered by the Brits, do not show the Brits only show the blue coats because it's the first time the American forces are putting, adopting blue coats. So right-hand man is all American forces, a mess until the very end of that number, they put on their blue coats and they start to become organized. So like oh. my shot is different. My shot is like no blue coats, no straight lines, no organization because they're, they're a mess. And so like my shot took its own form. And then like battle of Yorktown, I said to myself, this is the first time that they are gonna shoot a gun. So like, for example, in, in Battle of Yorktown, you know, then you think good and hard about how the guns make an entrance. And if you look at Hamilton now, and you go back, the first time the American forces have guns and point guns is literally the moment of surrender when they win the war. So like, it was a big choreographic gesture to say, I'm not gonna have them do dance numbers with guns because I can't be realistic on a stage with 12 people like thousands and thousands of people died. I can't represent that by really showing people try to shoot each other. So I have to be poetic. And the, one of the poetic gestures were, don't show them fighting each other <laughs> and don't put a gun in the American's hands until the moment of them winning the war. And, and so like those things are what I figure out in word form, word documents. And as soon as I say to myself, they can't have a gun yet, that rule then governs how to choreograph the other moments. Okay, I can't have a gun in my hand, so what am I gonna do? Is this moment about boot stomping? Is this moment about, you know, and, and slowly I figure out those, those problems. So push comes to shove. I probably worked about three months on the show before our first workshop. And in the first workshop, I staged the first act. Um, it took me five weeks of rehearsal to stage the first act. Wow. And then I choreographed for another um, three months. And by choreographing, I mean, I'm in the studio eight hours a day dancing. Like, so the time that it takes me to run like set design meetings, go to costume design meetings, go to casting sessions, you know, every day, I'm, if I'm on the Peloton for an hour, I'm listening to Hamilton. Like that's not those, those months. Like it took me like three months in the studio. And, and what I usually do is, I'll work on a moment by myself for a couple of days. Then I'll bring in um, a core group of like four, four to eight dancers. I don't like to work with like two. I definitely don't like to work with one because then there's, I, I need options. Um, when I work in the studio, I work with people who are all over the charts, like a Juilliard contemporary dancer, a crumping hip hop dancer, like people with different instincts. Mm. And so I, I guide them 
with my idea, they take it the right way, the other person takes it the left way, and then we sort of figure out why that one doesn't work or why this one does work or how those two can combine. Um, and, and I never finish. Like I just get it to the pl place where I want it to be, where, where I feel like it can live. And once I know where it can live, I video it and I go to the next moment. And then wow. in the studio, when I join the cast, I take that version that's 70% there and we finish it together. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's sort of the push and pull. Um, and it's a long process. And the other part of the Andy Blankenbuehler story is like my best work is done after I see it on stage. So, so like if we're doing a Broadway musical, you start previews and then you can continue rehearsing from like, like four hours a day for like the first three weeks. So like you can put in a change during the day, they run the show at night with an audience. So you can, we call those preview rehearsals. You can continue previewing um, and making changes. During previews, I make epic changes. Like I can change, I change really aggressively because as soon as I see, for example, the lighting designer do some badass thing, then I want to change to make my idea suit his idea or her idea. Or once you hear the orchestra, you know, when you don't forget, when you do a Broadway musical that's brand new, you never hear how it's going to sound until you're on stage. Wow. So, so like when you're rehearsing, sometimes you're rehearsing just to a piano, like, but what if it's on electric guitar, you're going to want to do it differently later. And so yeah. when, when I hear the orchestra and I realize, Oh my God, listen to that cool wood block underneath. Then I'll go into rehearsal the next day and change the syncopation to match the wood block. And so that's when I do a, an epic amount of changing. It sounds like, I mean, throughout the entire process, gathering the dancers, even within your own mind, and then, you know, changing it in this uh, preview stage, it sounds like it's just characterized by a constant interplay of entities, choreographer, dancers, and then seeing how that all makes this living kind of ecology on stage, you know, what is happening and is it telling the story? Um, yeah. That's massive. And, got, and I have to say that many times it goes wrong. More times it goes wrong than it goes right. And, and, you know, even at my age, like the cat film was a really hard, really, really, really hard um, process because those interplays didn't happen. Those collaborations mm -hmm. didn't happen. Those, those understand, like being on the same page with everybody didn't happen. And so, but be in Broadway musicals, even at my age, it, it doesn't, it still doesn't happen every time. So, mm -hmm. You know, it has to be going back a couple steps. It has to be a story that you believe in and it has to be a story that you find truly emotionally relevant. Like if the show isn't really about something, it's hard to get on the same page of action because mm -hmm. people see it as a job as opposed to a calling. And when we were working on Hamilton, like I was saying, there's these life events, like you know what it feels like to fall in love. So if you're gonna do the fall in love number you can all see it together you find it together but if it's an obscure idea that your collaborators can't get on board with then it, it, it goes askew and then the other thing is you know I, I i'm very lucky to work in a pretty high profile side of the business now and part of the downside of that is sometimes you can't get people to work like like you can't get them to show up and so wow. you you can't rehearse like you have to give away rehearsals and just sort of wing it when they're there. And like, that is hell to me. Like, I don't enjoy that. I like the workman 
kind of attitude of saying, you know, I'm going to kill myself for this project. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got, you know, a couple of years ago, I got really overextended and I was really busy and I was, I was leaning on my assistants more than I wanted to. And that I re- I realized that I disliked that. I like mm-hmm. to be able to give enough time and energy to, to really have a full knowledge of the piece that I'm working on, as opposed to learning about it in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like that's a yucky, that's a yucky feeling. Um, ah, it's hard. Show business is hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what they say. Showbiz, right? <laughs> show business. Yeah. Not, show, not show play, not show play. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Arts Today. My guest today was Tony Award-winning choreographer Andy Blankenbuehler. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll consider sharing it with at least one friend who you think would enjoy The Arts Today. Thank you for your continued listening support. I'll see you again next Friday with the release of the third and final episode in this series. Stay well.